On this episode, I ruined Kelsey's life with The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. That's right. It's our first two-part episode, which we said last time, so it's not really an announcement. <laughs> not really a surprise. Anyway, <laughs> on with the show. Actually, are you going to do another take? No, that's it. Okay. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like, or in this case, the things you remembered liking when you were 13 and haven't revisited since then, but you're pretty sure you liked parts of it. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman, and this is The Matrix Revisited. Ooh, that was good. Damn, that was good. On this episode, we are talking about the sequel to The Matrix movie. The Matrix Reloaded. And the sequel to the sequel to the Matrix, Matrix movie. The Matrix Revolutions. These movies were filmed simultaneously and released about six months apart. They tell basically one overarching story over two films, although the films themselves are very uneven. And the pacing is sort of just is all over the place. These movies were not super well received when they came out. Uh, as of right now, The Matrix Reloaded has a, t- to me, surprisingly high... 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, but The Matrix Revolutions has a 36, which is odd because going into these movies, I remember The Matrix Reloaded being kind of messy but fun, and I remembered literally nothing about The Matrix uh, Revolutions except for the one of the climactic fight scenes. But I have to say, my expectations were a bit, uh, a bit upended, and I was surprised at what I found. And if you keep listening, I think you'll be surprised too. So, we pick up... <laughs> <laughs> on Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus. Uh, so an, an, an unclear amount of time after the last movie. Maybe six months. Less than a year, let's say. And Neo is now this sort of messianic figure in the world of Zion, which we see for the first time. We see Zion, the last human city. And it's bustling with life. It's gray and depressing. It's underground. It sucks. <laughs> Zion sucks. But they have orgies. So they they do true. have orgies. <laughs> Famously, there's a scene where Morpheus gives a big speech and then everyone has a dance party while Neo and Trinity are off having sex in a room somewhere. They fucking... A room somewhere. We have a no room. idea. It's not clear. They're a quote-unquote room. They're in an archway, it looks like, but it's not clear what the... Neo says to Trinity when he pulls her away, I was, I was just thinking, everyone's here. So it's kind of implied that where they go to have sex is a place they couldn't go if people were not yeah. like condensed into one area. I was confused about that because like they lived on the ship together and they clearly had a room on the ship. They're sleeping in but the same bed like, when the movie begins. Yeah, but it's like, oh, we could finally have sex now. It's like, could you not have sex before? Because it seems like you have more privacy on the ship. Yeah, really, it's... I don't know. It, seems, it does seem that way. I have to assume that maybe... It's just we're not clear on like the the spatial layout of the matrix of the ships. It seems like everyone has their own room, but maybe the walls are super thin. I don't know. Anyway, um, sounds kind of crappy, but it's that, home. But but more importantly, it's under attack. Oh, oh no! no! It's going to be as we know because the 
the doom ship, the Osiris, got word of that giant army of machines coming down to mess everything up. In the Animatrix. In the Animatrix. Um, and this, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but this begins the, the fragmentation of the plot of these movies. The sequel to The Matrix is not really these two movies. It's these two movies plus The Animatrix plus Enter the Matrix, the video game, uh, which runs parallel to The Matrix Reloaded primarily. I don't think there's anything in there about revolutions, but it follows the the, the game. If I can just do this sidetrack for one second, follows a uh, Captain Niobe played by Jada Pinkett Smith, and uh, a guy named Ghost who really is not a character in the movies at all. He's there, he's present, but he's you know Niobe is involved in the plot and she has a relationship with the characters. Ghost is just a guy. He's just a just dude. a fucking guy. And there's about an hour's worth of filmed material in the games that's you know shot by the same oh so it's like filmed it's not like them motion no no no. Captured? no it's not motion capture it's actually like like 35 millimeter filmed footage oh wow okay <laughs> i mean it, it's arguably just like deleted scene type stuff but there's like this is canonical stuff that's in the world of this this movie that runs parallel to it and explains like where niobe is for the entire film that you don't see unless you play the game that's very weird it is weird similarly the Kid from Kid Story, the problematic suicide endorsing question mark anime from the Animatrix, he pops up here. I don't know if you necessarily need to know him from the Animatrix to get who he is because he's just like a young kid who is obsessed with Neo. I feel like if you didn't, you would just be like, "Who the fuck is this kid, and why the fuck is he here?" It's it's he's he's annoying anyway. But if you had no idea what he was from, I imagine he would be annoying and inexplicable. And and again, like the entire inciting incident of this of the of the plot, literally the inciting incident of the Matrix Matrix sequel happens in a in a CGI barely released prequel <laughs> short film. But whatever. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, Neo has to go find the Oracle. She tells him some stuff. Uh, he's trying to deal with these dreams he's having, where Trinity keeps dying. And he's trying to save her. Well, I think you you make a good point where like the there's a divergence in the plot whereas like we have neo trying to figure out what he's supposed to do as the one and then we have the rest of everybody else trying to save zion that's true and you know uh neo's plot line is and sometimes they converge they sometimes converge neo's plot is line is the least compelling it's so uninteresting <laughs> it becomes i would argue i would argue it's still uh worthwhile in this movie because that's where most of the cool you know choreographed fight scenes take place mm -hmm. and there's still lots of you know just cool beat-em-ups less shoot-em-ups in this one a lot more beat-em-ups yeah if you if you wanted more fight scene i believe you said that you wanted more fight scene <laughs> you wanted more of a fight scene uh no i wanted shorter fight scenes just more of them oh well what if we gave you the same number of fight scenes but they were all three times as long <laughs> how would that be uh no thank you oh well well here it is it's called the matrix reloaded the last hour <laughs> There's a fight scene in a Italian villa and also a restaurant and also a parking garage and also on a highway. Did I miss anything? There's one in the hallway, but it's very short. Yeah. Do in the hallway fight before Daredevil. <laughs> it's a significantly less impressive hallway fight than Daredevil. It's true. To be fair. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> um, basically, Neo and, and his gang have to track down this this, pro, this rogue program called the Keymaker who can help Neo give access, get access to the source pro code 
of the Matrix, which allow him to the Keymaker is very endearing. Stop the war. Yeah, the Keymaker is just like a, like a quiet little dude they pick up yeah. who like rides around with them for about half an hour. But he's sometimes is very charming. I kind of wish he showed up at the end, at the very end, with like Sati and and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the Oracle. Yeah. Spoiler warnings for this fourteen-year-old movie: the Keymaker dies, and it's yeah. legit like a little bit sad. I remember being sad. very upset when he died when I first saw this. I was sad. And I, yeah, it's still, it's still, I mean, he, he's got no character, but something about him is just very charming. Mm-hmm. He just, he's very helpful. From the moment you, they find him, he's like, he's not like, where are you going? Where are you taking me? He's like, oh, here we go. Let's go. I got the keys. Let's do this thing. You know, seeking out the key maker sort of sets up that the entire second half of the movie where they're running around. They're running from agents. They, run, they meet the Merovingian, mm-hmm. a delightfully wicked little French man. So wicked. Who is a who is also a rogue program who sort of is basically in charge of what what is analogous to a criminal underworld in the Matrix. It's still basically a criminal underworld, but some of the people involved are programs. And uh, he's a very interesting character who kind of doesn't really factor into the overarching plot. But he's kind, fun. He's fun. He's a lot of fun. It's <laughs> it's kind of like a lot of stuff in the first movie is not maybe necessary. Well, no, it's more just I'm thinking about like the fact that the first movie surrounds this blank slate of Neo with all these other much more interesting and compellingly acted characters. And the Merovingian is just one more in a long line of people like that. He's this very just evil, evil French guy yep. who is just fun to watch. And so his uh, wife is uh, Monica Bellucci, who, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone here will know from Twin Peaks season three <laughs> in, her, in her star making turn as herself. And the other real big thing going on here is that uh, Smith's back. Uh oh, Hugo Weaving. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? And he now has the ability. He he, he has been changed and sort of, um, I guess, jailbreaking. Is that a thing? They jail they jailbroke the program. You know you the jail, agent program. You, you know you jailbreak your iPhone. Yeah. Basically, when Neo flew through him and blew him up at the end of the first one, he jailbroke Smith. <laughs> he's now. A, a, a rogue program of his own. He's a virus. Sort. He's a virus. He's he, uh, thank you. That's the word. He's a virus. He's a virus. What is a virus but a rogue program? And he's uh, mm-hmm. he's he's obsessed with control and purpose now. Mm-hmm. But his real big thing is that he he like can duplicate himself. He can overwrite a person's entire body mm-hmm. and make a copy of himself. I mean, agents could always sort of jump by the body, but he can just sort of do the same thing now, but permanently. Yeah, that sets up a lot of. Uh, Fun fight scenes. A lot of fun fight scenes and a lot of just fun Hugo Weaving acting uh, against himself. Yeah. Which he's very good at. It really feels like the the Wachowskis just liked Hugo Weaving so much they just wanted to keep Let's him around somehow. Let's have 18 of him. And uh, he's he's important to, to Neo's storyline and, mm-hmm. and to the resolution of the overarching storyline. But, you know, it's mostly just fun. <laughs> he's like the interesting thing about Neo's storyline, I think. Like, and the sort of uh, duality between him and Neo that sort of emerges more in revolutions but yeah they, they begin to address that in this one that, yeah. that that um i don't know if it's explicitly said this at this point or if it's not that's not till later but smith sort of takes a he's the the exact the opposing force to neo he's the anti one the anti if the one is a christ-like figure <laughs> uh um agent smith is um the beast i can't think of the stupid guy's name from stupid ass left behind nikolai <laughs> agent smith is the nikolai i that one's for you, Sarah, <laughs> and probably Andrew, uh, and, and any of our former and current evangelical Christian listeners. <laughs> and with, Kirk Cameron. It's with, for Kirk with, Cameron, too. With an interest in, <laughs> with an interest in post... Uh, um, oh, I, I can't think of the right word. And it's a whole part of uh, Christian eschatology that's like post-tribulation or pre-tribulation. 
let's not get into it. It's it's just we're just dragging the podcast down. People I always mean, say when they write in, they say Jason's talking too much about the differences between uh, post and pre dispensationalist Christianity. I yeah, you are obviously. So, so we hear you. Yeah, we hear your voice. Mm-hmm. In the end, um, Neo goes into a room and talks to a guy dressed up like Colonel Sanders. Who is the architect. The architect of the Matrix, who informs him that Zion has existed many times before, and all this has happened before and will happen again. Neo is given the choice to either do the thing all the other previous ones have done and restart the human society with a few people chosen to rebuild Zion. Um, it's it's this, this, this is like the most like widely mocked part of The Matrix Reloaded is the scene with the architect. First of all, because the architect is a pretentious douchebag who speaks in these highfalutin big city ten dollar words how dare how dare he and also because what's being discussed is an interesting idea but it doesn't really we don't ever get to see any of the stuff really dramatized like it, it sort of fuels neil's quest going forward but all sort of feels very abstract in a way that the the general idea of um, the humans being enslaved by the machines in the first movie yeah. never felt abstract yeah it seems like there should have been some sort of like really quick flashback montage that might have made it feel more real but that would have just made it even more disjointed i didn't hate that part like it, no i think it's kind of fun it does it makes sense to me like it's not i don't think it's that stupid and like of course he's like you know pretentious douchebag we're not supposed to like him <laughs> <laughs> we want neo to win in that verbal sparring match like yeah. we don't we don't we're not supposed to like him it's fine that he's a douchebag Anyway, Neo's given a choice to either restart the whole Zion thing or leave and go save Trinity, which he does because he loves her so much. Apparently. Uh, they're still in love. I haven't mentioned it yet because the movie continues to insist that they're in love. But it, but not show us, really, other than have them have sex and tell each other that they love each other. Not very believably. They definitely love having sex. <laughs> and they seem to enjoy being around each other. But... The movie never does the work of getting you to actually invest in their relationship. I think a lot of that's because there's so much plot stuff they have to do with these two. There's not a lot of room to actually make them human characters. But either way, it really, it, it, so much of Neo's story is driven by his love for Trinity that I think making that relationship more real would have gone a long way to making people care more about, more about these two movies. And, uh, you know, the machines are still coming. The Nebuchadnezzar gets blown up. Neo now has the ability to kill robot squids in the real world with his mind. He's been to the source code. He's been to the source code and uh, gone back. And oh, also, uh, Agent Smith got into the body of a human. By the way, whoops. <laughs> named named hilariously Bane. Bane. Uh, and that's where we leave it. So Kelsey, what did you think? <laughs> Not about my recap, but about the <laughs> it was movie. A good recap. It was oh, a good thanks, recap. Kelsey. I didn't love it. Like you said, it's kind of all over the place and. I'm still not super invested in Neo and Trinity, who, like, I need to be invested in them to care about his story. And I'm a little bit kind of like, like, I understand why the Matrix is bad, but I sort of am like, are the people who are in the Matrix and don't know they're in the Matrix living terrible lives? They seem like they're okay, you know? <laughs> like, it's just the world. <laughs> Is it bad? <laughs> I guess it's bad. That's why I think they go, they, they, 
hammer home the point in the first movie of the fact that the old human bodies are discarded and, and fed intravenously into the young humans. Yeah. To really drag it across that this is a dehumanizing system. Right. But anyway, yeah. So it was just kind of all over the place. There were some fun fight scenes, some fun new characters. We got Link, a.k.a. Michael from Lost. <laughs> yeah, portrayed by uh, Harold Perrineau. We got Niobe. Niobe portrayed by Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, the kid, don't really care about him. Link's wife? Yeah, Link uh, Link is married to Z, played by Nona Gay. Yeah, and then whose sister or sister-in-law is Gina Torres, who's in these movies for a total of five minutes. Yeah, uh, two st- <laughs> five, that's, that's generous, honestly. <laughs> Maybe. She's in two scenes. I was like, oh, Gina Torres, and then she was gone. <laughs> <laughs> I, but since you bring up uh, Link and Z, yeah, it's and this and this is more relevant. I maybe to the second movie, mm-hmm. but um, the two of them, like, they, like you know, she there's some conflict between them. Like he obviously is dedicated to Morpheus, Morpheus's cause, and he believes in Neo's uh, cyber divinity or whatever they call it. Cyber and it's like oh, he's like he's like on board with the mission. Yeah, and you know Z obviously is worried because you know Morpheus's crew has a habit of dying, and mm-hmm. she. Um, um, uh, oh God, Dozer and Tank, yeah. the two, two two of the crew members who died, were her, were her brothers. brothers. Yeah. So she is obviously, you know, she knows firsthand that this this war that Morpheus is fighting has a human cost, and there's like a lot of push and pull between the two of them, and like they love each other, but you know, you know they're they're torn apart by this war that's going on. There's like, mm-hmm. you know, they don't 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 know if they're gonna see each other again. And the resolution to that in the Matrix Revolutions is actually very, you feel it, poignant, and it's poignant, yeah. yeah. Um, to jump ahead just for a second a bit, like when he comes back to her at the end of Matrix Revolutions, having like, you know, carried with with him the the good luck trinket she gave him in this movie, it's uh it's 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 touching. Yeah. Like you feel good for them. Yeah. And it, in a way you don't feel good for Trinity and Neo ever. In a way you don't feel anything for Neo <laughs> Trinity ever. Uh, and it's 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 so amazing to me because I'd forgotten that happened and watching it I it's like well the Wachowskis uh, it's good it's it's kinda funny to know that they, they it's they could do this. Mm-hmm. It's not that they didn't know how to write a relationship, like a compelling, interesting relationship in this world, because they did it in like a couple scenes. Yeah, uh, so that's that's that, that's what makes me think that this whole neo trendy thing is. There's just too much plot. There's too much else to do with them. Um, you still think they probably could have done something, but you know, it's just um, congratu- like like kudos Wachowski's for doing this one thing. But why couldn't you do the other thing that well? Whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also something that's been that the relationship is between two people of color which you know loving relationships between people of color aren't as common on screen as they should be it's true we should point out zion's very diverse very diverse these movies are chock full of non-whites yes which is good yeah it's great it's great it's it's a it's a very um it's not a big deal it's never it's never really remarked upon mm-hmm. and it's just a it's just nice to have a sci-fi film that includes people of color mm-hmm. when so many of them seem to Assume that at some point there's not going to be any more people of color. Ugh. Or, you know what I mean? Like, even soft sci fi like her, which takes place in Los Angeles, has zero non white people in it. Wow. Or, you know, like Ghost in the Shell, where they just make the non white people white. Oh, boy. Ooh. 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 Anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, other than that, this movie is kind of all over the place. And I think it does. It does suffer from the sort of two storylines that are going on. I really just do think this movie is just a setup for the final movie, which I actually think is better. Whoa. I mean, critically, 
people would disagree with me, I guess, because Rotten Tomatoes said it wasn't good. But I liked it a lot better than the second one. I think the second one has more things overall that I like in it, but the third one is maybe a better composed movie. It's just there's so many individual things I really enjoy in the second movie, like all the fight scenes, even the ones that go on for too long, like a self-indulgent guitar solo, <laughs> uh, even you know after the point where it stops really being exciting or, or novel, I still think it's fun. And all the sci-fi stuff uh, I mentioned earlier, they go full anime in this one. I love that. You know, I'm not a huge anime person, but I love all the sort of like that they really embrace like the, the sci-fi nature of this series. And I think that's another reason why people may, maybe didn't respond to this one as well, or these two movies, uh, as well as the first one, because this one is hard. Sorry, not hard sci-fi. That's its own thing. But you know what I mean. This really uh, embraces a lot of sci-fi tropes that the first one didn't. A lot, a lot of spaceships flying around, the whole underground human city, and the governments thereof, and the uh, there's a lot of there's a there's a few quick shots of the uh, the bulky. Uh, Standard issue Zion mech suits that people use to move stuff around. So good. That will get used uh, in a battle sequence in the, in the third movie. And, uh, you know, Neo's powers have advanced to the point where he's flying around and doing stuff. And it's very, you know, it's kind of silly. It's very Voldemort in the seventh movie of Harry Potter. It's very, uh, it's very Goku. Sure. It's very Dragon Ball Z. Just flying, you know. They do. They do make. They do sort it's of. Very silly. They do hang a lampshade on it when he first flies around and Link and someone's like, "Where? What happened to Neo?" And Link goes, "He's doing a Superman thing." <laughs> like it, it's sort of fun to imagine that I, even though he's this messi- messianic figure, people do still sort of think he's a bit much. Yeah, he's very extra. He's very extra. Neo he's and Trinity. He's not as extra as Trinity. I feel like Trinity is more extra than Neo. Maybe because she's dating Neo, so she feels like she needs to keep up. But. <laughs> You know, some people, like, they date someone and they just sort of lose themselves in the personality of that person. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're dating dating the... Messiah. Uh, the, I guess, internet messiah, basically. <laughs> the cyber messiah. Cyber messiah. You, maybe that sort of happens. You know, it happens. It, it happens. It happens. There's a scene in uh, the third movie where <laughs> Neo... I'm sorry, not Neo. Morpheus, uh, Trinity, and um, Seraph... Yeah. Uh, who is the the or- Oracle's sort of handler introduced in this movie. The three of them go over a turnstile in, in a subway station. <laughs> and uh, Morpheus and, and, and Seraph go over. Like jump over. They kind of jump over. It's kind of funny. Like, they, it's a bit much. Yeah. And the Trinity does a full cartwheel. <laughs> over it. <laughs> over the thing. And we were just like, Trinity, come on. You don't need to be that extra. She's very extra. There's nobody in the station. And that, I guess, is a good point as any for us to do our own cartwheel over the turnstile. Into the, matrix into the Matrix Revolutions. A revolution Very over the good. turnstile? Yeah. That's, sure. Yeah, that's something. Okay. There's, there's something there. Okay. Anyway. Sorry, I thought it was good. This one's also more fresh. <laughs> I'm ready. It's not, it's not fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It is not certified <laughs> no, fresh. Not certified fresh. So Matrix Revolutions opens uh, an indeterminate amount of time after the last movie. Between five and ten minutes <laughs> uh, is immediately after the second yeah. movie. <laughs> Neo is trapped in a, in a uh, again a very like seventh Harry Potter book train station yeah. between worlds area. <laughs> um, and something about him going into the source code and returning instead of finish fulfilling his destiny as the one has left him in this in between space where he can uh, once he is back in the real world he can still. He's, he's still able to his he he can 
he's 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 for a while in this movie his mind is in the matrix sort of but his body is not jacked in and when he gets out he's able to still see the machines and like has an thing can control them to some degree and attack them he's sort of been this in-between place between man and machine basically this this movie uh is kind of a feels structurally more like the first movie whereas in the second movie was like all over the place and the pacing was so lurching and weird this one has like really only a couple full sequences mm-hmm. morpheus is merry men trinity and seraph uh go to the merovingian to get help getting neo out of the, tr- out of the train which they do out of the train station and they get neo back notably oh neo meets a little girl program named what sati. Was it? sati again this is part of the expanded focus on programs in the, in the second third movies sati is a program who has no purpose and her her program parents both love her and this is sort of a a new thing for Neo to see that programs have uh, some sort of emotional life. Not the same way humans do, but they're, they, you know, they are not just disposable things. They exist in their own way. Love is just a word. Love is just a word, man. Choice is just a word. Everything's just a word. Karma is just a word. Anyway. Just a word, man. And then basically once they're, once they're, uh, once Neo's, you know. Back we get one we get, we get one more scene with the, with the Merovingian and uh, his uh, super, super, super extra wife. In a BDSM club. Can we talk about that for a second? <laughs> so there's a BDSM club scene where they go to visit, uh, where the Merovingian, I guess, just sort of hangs out every night. And it's kind of halfway between a BDSM club and a rave because, yeah. well, I, I didn't see a lot of like explicitly sexual activity mm-hmm. going on and not all BDSM activity is sexual, but there seems to be just sort of a dance party where everyone's dressed in BDSM gear. Yeah. Well, you said there was there was something happening. There was definitely some nipple twisting happening, like in the like first establishing shot that just looked like it hurt really badly, and so I kind of focused on it. <laughs> it's amazing. You just sort of you see you see nipple play, and you just zero in on it, Kelsey. What is that? What is that about? It looks so uncomfortable. And there's also a woman in the when they first are walking into the club, who has uh everyone's wearing like leather or latex corsets, mm-hmm. and this woman has one that sort of. Has one of those like designs where the the piece of clothing runs up past the neck and over like the bottom half of the face. Yeah, which I think is like, just a cool stylish look. <laughs> sort of the same thing as the jacket Ryan Gosling has in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um, if anyone wants to give me anything for my, for Christmas, that's the one. Give me that jacket, the Ryan Gosling jacket, not the not the weird corset not jacket. Not the weird corset jacket. I mean, Ryan Gosling has got a good run of just iconic movie jackets, doesn't he? You saw Drive, right? Uh, I haven't seen it, but I know the jacket you speak of. You haven't seen Drive? No. Oh, that's probably okay. <laughs> I've heard good things. Yeah, it's good. I wouldn't do an episode about it. Does he have another iconic movie jacket? Well, there's the jacket in uh, Blade Runner 2049. Of course, no one saw that movie, so maybe iconic is not the right word. I felt like that was going to be a third one. Um, There probably is. What Did he wear any jackets in Crazy Stupid Love? He wears a lot of suits in that movie. What about he also wears uh, uh, not many shirts in that movie, which, uh, you know... The ladies appreciate some ladies. What else has he been in? <laughs> um, did he wear any any suits in the Notebook? I've never seen the Notebook. No, he doesn't wear a lot of jackets in that. What does he wear? Like shirts. Charming half cocked smile. Yeah. Certainly he wore Ro- rolled up sleeves. Uh oh, he wore a cool uh, red leather jacket in the Place Beyond the Pines. Oh okay, so three three iconic movie jackets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It just felt like there needed to be three for it to be like a series. He, of course, wore the iconic Titans uniform and Remember the Titans. Oh, my favorite Ryan Gosling. <laughs> well, you, you, I mean, I know I make a lot of observations on this podcast. But they're just things I'm seeing on Wikipedia when I pull up things to research. <laughs> He's not been in that many movies. 
it's uh, I mean I'm not gonna count them all off, but it's like he's got a pretty tight, fairly strong filmography. Yeah. Good for you, Ryan. Good for you, Ryan. Uh, keep up the good work. Thank what are we talking work. about? Jackets. 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 Oh, uh, the BDSM club. The BDSM club. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think it's probably just in there because the one of the Wachowskis or maybe both the Wachowskis have an interest in that scene. Yeah. Uh, which I I I think is I've read biographical details about them that indicate that, and also. You know, there seems to be an embrace of any sort of alternative lifestyle in all their work. I'm mm-hmm. thinking specifically of Sense8. Yes. I don't think there's any explicit BDSM uh, stuff in, in Sense8, but I I just get the feeling. It wouldn't feel out of place it wouldn't if feel there out of was. Place. I'm sure it'd be presented in a very, like, fact-based, loving way. Yeah. Anyway, so the plot of this movie that we've gotten way off track on. Uh, if going by our summary, they probably spent about an hour in that BDSM club. <laughs> it's like 10 minutes. <laughs> it's, oh, it's not even 10 minutes. <laughs> There's no way. Well, it takes them like a while to get there. Yeah. Because I got to do a shoot em up for a while. There's, the, there's a fun Mexican standoff. Yeah. My favorite my favorite thing actually is the Merovingian like says, oh, I'll help Neo. And he goes in this long, very like French monologue about how like the one thing I've always wanted to possess is the eyes of the Oracle. If I will save Neo, who you love very much, if you bring me the yeah, eyes of the organs. It's a very long thing. And Trini just goes, I don't have time for this shit. <laughs> and just tosses that entire, like, aborted plot thread to the side. And they have a fun little Mexican standoff. Yeah. I use the word fun a lot. I don't know if other people would find these movies as fun as I do. but I, I thought this movie was fun. Okay, thank you. I think a lot of people would not think of the... I thought it was a lot easier to follow than the previous one. Right. The plot, though you wouldn't know it from our summary... Is actually a lot yeah. more streamlined and makes a lot well, more sense. Because those two threads are like actually separated. Once they get Neo back into the onto the ship, um, you know, it's very much Neo has to do this and everyone else has to do this, and those people do those things, and then it ends. <laughs> <laughs> they literally, once Neo is back in his body, they put the two plot threads on two separate ships and send them in opposite directions. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. And it works. We um, uh, we catch up a little bit with um, the Smith who's in the body of this guy named Bane. Mm-hmm. And he pops up, he pops up and kills Essie Davis from the Babadook. Oh, Essie Davis. And from, what do you say Fr- she was in? Friday Fisher. Oh no, Essie Davis. murder mysteries. Yeah, boy, Essie Davis. Uh, good for you, Essie. Essie's good. She's also on Game of Thrones. Good job. Have you seen The Babadook? I haven't. It's good. I've heard good things. I like Essie Davis, so. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good showcase for Essie Davis, good. if nothing else. Should we watch it? Yeah, we should. Not not now, but ding. ding. Well, don't, don't snap your fingers. <laughs> oh. I wish we could snap our fingers and make the ding sound happen. That'd be so cool. But that wouldn't make sense because it's a podcast and people can't see us snapping our fingers anyway. Let's just imagine that's happening. That's fun. We have fun. We have fun. Yeah, kills Essie Davis. He kills Essie Davis, and he sneaks onto the ship that Neo and Trinity are going off on. And at this point, we kind of know that Neo's not going to die necessarily. Someone's going to die. Yeah, there's going to be some self-sacrifice involved. In yes, yeah. he he's he's taking that ship along with Trinity, who's coming with him because she loves him so much. Apparently, uh, apparently, <laughs> they, they they're going off to the Machine City. Neo says. He didn't even say what he's going to do, but he says he, he, has says to gotta go. Go. he has to go to the Machine City. He's going to do something to stop the war. He has some sort of plan that he doesn't really let anyone else on. Um, so Jada Pinkett Smith, as Niobe, gives him her ship. And he goes off. And then they go off to uh, get back to Zion time to stop an EMP that they can stop the... They can turn the tide of this battle against the machines. 
Then meanwhile, back at the at Zion, we have you know the build up to and the culmination of this attack on Zion by the machines, and the, the humans um fend them off in those kind of funny, awkward, like <laughs> middle heavy mech suits. It's great though. It's great. It was a good battle. I like watching it. It's a good battle. And inside that battle, we meet uh, an iconic character. We have like three different threads inside that battle, but yes. But the most important. Yeah, well, we have have, um, uh, a kid. Kid finally comes to play in the story where Mm -hmm. he sort of has to prove himself in the battle, which Mm -hmm. is not a whole lot of story, but they don't make it into more than it is. It's just... Captain Mifune. Yeah. We have... have, It's really a pretty Mm -hmm. well-organized battle sequence because we know enough about the characters we're following to, to... ground ourselves in what's going on yeah. and we care about them to different degrees mm-hmm. we, we uh uh links links wife z is there mm-hmm. and we meet in, a, in just a in, a in a out of nowhere she's hanging out with this person named chara who is um revealed as her like what i would say like mortarboard partner basically yeah, <laughs> like, Char- chara's got a big old bazooka basically yeah. and and z runs around behind chara and then fills in their uh loads uh, in the shell loads in the shells and chara takes out an entire machine giant drill with the, with this bazooka gun yeah chara kelsey you and i were invested in chara from the moment they appear on screen yes because <laughs> chara has what in our world would be a very very coded queer haircut yes uh although you know to be fair in the world of the matrix that may just mean the Chara just got out of the matrix a little while ago right. and, their, and their hair hasn't grown back in yet right but whatever char is amazing char is amazing oh the little squid robots get them and then all oh, the squid robots Yes, it's rough going when Chara dies. Mm-hmm. A character we knew we we knew was going to die. A character we knew was going to die. Who we meet an hour and tw- twenty minutes into the third movie in a series. Who <laughs> you and I were immediately invested in beyond even the main character. It was upsetting. Maybe speaks more to our personal uh, preferences. Than... Perhaps they were great though. Uh, they were great though. R.I.P. Chara. Rest in power. Rest in power. Hero of the revolution. Niobe gets her big showy moment where she could fly through this amazing path through the. Uh, into the into into Zion and then saves the day with that big last. Uh, no one thinks she can do burst. it. She's like, I can do it. I can do it. And she does it. And she does it. Kid, you know, he he helps save the day too. He opens up the clears the way for yeah. the ship to get in there. Whatever. Everyone gets their their moment. Everyone gets their moment. And the battle sequence is so well paced. I think that like every when we go back <laughs> to Neo and Trinity, I'm just like, no, no, I want to. Can we? I, that was better. <laughs> There's a whole forty, I think, forty-five minute stretch with just with these characters who yeah. we don't all know that well, but who are just sort of immediately very compelling. And you know, and Link's not only trying to save the day, he's trying to get back to his his wife alive so they can be reunited, which they are. And and he's trying to stay alive so they can be reunited. It's it's very much not the movie people probably imagined when they when they heard about a Matrix sequel, but it's 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 very good. It feels like it's an you know good. apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic you know, movie. That that's what I expect from a post-apocalyptic movie, you know. And I enjoyed that part a lot. And when we had to go back to Neo and Trinity, I was like, oh, these uninteresting bitches now. I don't care. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> when you when everyone starts talking about you know oh, that was just the first wave, they'll be sending more robots any second now. And then Morpheus starts talking about Neo again, and, you, and, you, like, and oh. you're thinking, no, there here, here it comes. Here it comes. You're just dreading that cut back to Neo and Trinity in the ship. And I think there's something so much more compelling about like a group of people coming together to save the day than like one dude, one messiah, like a dude doing a thing that no one else can do and saving the day. Fulfilling what's honestly been a pretty sketchily defined destiny. Yeah. And goal. Yeah. I mean, we know his goal now is is to break the cycle of the endless war between man and machine. But aside from that, we don't really know what he's like trying to do exactly. 
Uh, oh, um, Smith and the Bane body attacks him and blinds him. So Neo is blind for the rest yeah, of the movie. Yeah, so he's blind at the end. Uh, that, that doesn't really come to play very much. It just, I think it's It was meant... kind of stupid, honestly. Yeah, a, a lot of what's happening with Neo, especially in this last movie, is, is purely symbolic, which is part of the reason why it's not super compelling, is the symbolism is... I like it, but in terms of actually like telling a story, it's not super effective. Trinity and Neo make it their way to the um, to the Machine City. Trinity dies, of course, of well, course. They make their way to the Machine City, holding hands the entire time, even though Trinity clearly needs to be using both hands to drive. <laughs> she drives pretty well, even with one hand. She's a leaf on the wind, and much like Wash and Firefly, she, she dies, dies. <laughs> horribly. Spoilers. When a, when a big old metal thing pierces her her, her In chest, multiple places. multiple places. <laughs> We get a really long death scene between her and Neo all about how much they love each other, which again... Do they? I feel kind of bad because, I mean, she's dying. It it's, sucks, I guess, but I don't really feel it. And it's, it's especially... I honestly, I don't think that um, Karen Moss and Keanu Reeves had that much chemistry. Um, yeah, not really. And, and that doesn't help. <laughs> and Trinity never gets to be that much of a character either. Yeah. Uh, I got nothing really against Karen Ann Moss as a actress either, but she's not... I don't, she's not known for her loving warmth. Yeah, and her character's always is throughout this entire thing, except for like two minutes at the beginning, tied directly to Neo. Yeah. Which is annoying. She never really, I would say she never really gets her moment because her motivation is always him. Whereas like, like even Niobe, who's our other prominent female character, like gets her moment in this and just gets to prove that she's as good as she is and like, we have respect. She has such a much greater story than Trinity. Yeah, and she's in way fewer scenes. Yeah. But we get enough to know that, you know, this thing she's about to do is flying this the ship in this very intense way is hard. No one thinks she can do it, mm-hmm. um, except Morpheus. He believes in her. Yeah. But yeah, Trinity's, Trinity's fate and plot are always tied to Neo, and it mm. makes her kind of boring. I think if Karen Moss is playing, like, the sort of Morpheus character, who is sort of supposed to be distant and aloof, like... But we're supposed to buy this loving relationship between them, and and I don't. Because Morpheus's entire goal is tied to Neo too, but yeah, he's his character who gets to do so much more, mm-hmm. or maybe not necessarily do more, but he's given more time to shine his personality. Well, and he through. gets to interact with other people. It's true in a way that right. Trinity doesn't. Trinity interacts almost solely with Morpheus and Neo, You're right. and occasionally a, a foil or a foe, but. She never interacts with, like, Niobe. Like, her and Niobe don't have a conversation. Do they? <laughs> no. Does this film pass the Bechdel test? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think about that, though, but you're totally yeah. right. I mean, we get a greater sense of who Morpheus is over these last two movies. Mm-hmm. Like, we sort of get to know maybe a little bit more than we need to about his romantic history. Mm-hmm. We don't get to know too much, though. Like, we don't get bogged down in it, but we know he has relationships with other characters, and we see them play out, like his... Yeah combative relationship with a uh, commander jason Locke, and uh, and even like the council and like he gives that whole speech for like all of zion yeah before the the, uh, the orgy scene in the yeah. second movie we see him in other con- like he he's still he's still morpheus but we see him in other contexts with, yeah. with other people we only ever see trandy like basically from we after- see her with neo and we see her in combat mode and that's pretty much it you're right and like even when kid when they first get off the ship like approaches neo and morpheus and like and lincoln is talking to them like i don't think trinity ever directly addresses him like she almost totally just talks to neo like i think except for that scene when she's talking to maggie like i don't really remember her talking to anybody else that's true (laughs) is trinity a ghost (laughs) oh 
Like, we don't know what Trinity did for fun. We never saw her, like, house in Zion. We don't know any of her backstory. And even the scene where she's talking to Maggie. Is Maggie S.C. Davis's character's name? Yeah. Oh, good good call. I didn't remember that at all. Uh, It said it in the subtitles. It's the only reason I know. Oh, nice. (laughs) They are explicitly uh, not passing the Bechdel test because they are talking entirely about Neo. (laughs) Is Neo going to be okay? What about Bane? Bane's going to be okay, but I'm really worried about Neo. Yeah. You're right. I mean, like, as soon as they get off the ship in the second movie and they get back into Zion... Neo's about to have like interact with all the people who think he's like, you know, a godlike figure. Yeah. Trinity literally is like, You go do this by yourself, I'm gonna go off and I'll meet you up later with you later for sex. Yeah. That's I never thought about that, but you're totally right. She never she doesn't interact with anyone else. And also Maggie dies like right after we see her talk to Trinity, so Trinity's a ghost. <laughs> She's a ghost. Ah. Or a program. Ooh. Wait, what? But Oh, then everybody would be able to see her. She's in the real world though. Oh, uh, I don't know. She's a ghost who can jack into the Matrix. Not to be confused with the, the character whose name is Ghost. Or the two twins who act like ghosts. <laughs> uh, where uh, Neo makes it to the Machine City, uh, starts talking to a giant baby face made out of robots, <laughs> and says, hey, I'll, I'll, I know... This is kind of where you lost me on the seriousness. I, <laughs> I, uh, this is where it gets the most serious, too. Like, this know. is when the Christ allegory stuff really kicks into overdrive. Uh, Neo says, hey, I know Smith has taken over the whole Matrix and he's like kind of wrecking your whole shit. If you let me, if you let me in there and let me take, and I'll take care of Smiths for you and save your whole, I'll save you basically. You have to promise me you'll have, there'll be peace between humans and robots. He doesn't say in those words, but that's basically what his offer is. It's implied. He go, and then like the machines all jack him in. And he goes back into the Matrix, which seems to have been taken over entirely by Smith. It's all Smiths. Like, I think we're meant to understand that he is now every single person in the Matrix except for Neo. They fight in a big old anime fight in the rain where there's there's a little bit of choreography, but disappointingly little. Like, there's a lot of more of them flying around and punching each other in, in the air. It's just silly, and I didn't like it. I like the thing where they keep hitting each other so hard there's like a wave of like force shot out that moves the rain around Mm -hmm. that's kind of a neat effect because you don't really think about the the way that that level of impact would affect things in the rain and that's kind of cool to look at Mm -hmm. but as a final fight it's just it's the least interestingly like directed and staged fight and it's the climax of neo's entire story yeah neo kind of beats smith but allows himself to be taken over by smith but that's apparently the only way he can destroy smith because he destroys smith by like Letting him infect him. He has to sacrifice himself again. Again, because he's a messianic figure. Although he didn't really sacrifice himself the first time, I guess, now that I think about it. He just, he just got died. He just got shot. <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of intentionality there. Uh, so we, Smith, uh, Smith is defeated. Neo dies. We see him back in the real world, and he does an, a super, super intense Christ pose as he's dying. And then after he Very dies, he, the giant uh, god... Baby, baby face robot <laughs> even says it is done <laughs> much like the end of uh, i forget which gospel it is but after jesus dies in one of the gospels those are his last words worth pointing out that that giant baby face robot is credited as uh, deus ex machina in the credits clever yeah that, that's kind of clever kind of clever it literally is a god face made from machines god god machine machine of yeah. But though it does look like a giant baby face, which I did not notice the first time I saw this. <laughs> I remember thinking, is that supposed to be the architect's face? But now, now I look at it and I think... It can only be a giant baby. Is that supposed to be the boss baby's face? 
is Boss Baby a Matrix prequel? Oh God! <laughs> and the the robots leave the humans in Zion alone. Forever. Forever, I guess. The movie kind of just stops. I mean, we see that the Matrix has been recreated, and the architect promises to let the humans who want to go free go. And uh, Sati. Sati. Sati is happy. She's free to live her life as a happy little program. The Oracle the Oracle's back. And that's it. That's it. It ends very suddenly. Yeah, and wouldn't have them wouldn't Jada Pinkett Smith blowing up that EMP been a much more satisfying ending? It is a satisfying ending uh-huh. to that seek that battle sequence. Yeah. But it wouldn't have solved the overarching problem of humans and machines living together in harmony. Although I, it's maybe a lot of people weren't satisfied by the ending because Neo doesn't just destroy all the machines and free all the humans. But I think we're meant to view that as unfair. Like we're not supposed to want him to to wipe out the machines and for there to be a balance and a peace between the two quote unquote uh, races, I guess, because species, species. Thank you. Uh, species is the, the better word there, I guess. I think that's meant to be the goal partially because of what we see in the animatrix with the, first renaissance which shows that the machines were up to like a pretty far point sympathetic yeah and just wanted to be recognized as living beings and therefore like just slaughtering them and then wiping them out totally would have been like an unfair ending which again makes sense if you've seen the animatrix yeah kelsey you mentioned you you enjoyed the matrix revolutions more than you thought you would maybe yeah, no, I liked it better than Reloaded. Especially, um, especially after I said this was the bad one. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the other characters were so much more compelling in this one that it distracted from how boring Neo and Trinity are. <laughs> Basically. And there was a lot less Neo in this. He goes away for, again, an entire act of the movie, basically. Yeah. So that was nice. And even the stuff, the one, you know, sequence where we get him before he's back in the real world with, like, the train station was, like, interesting. And, like, the train man, like, I thought that was watchable (laughs) and, you know, somewhat interesting. But, again, he's separated from Trinity there. But I think when they're together, they're so boring. (laughs) I don't want to watch them. (laughs) But there was more of not them in this, and I think that's why I enjoyed it. Yeah, I feel the same way, which is... Interesting because I think another reason people might not have liked this one so much is because there is so much time spent away from Neo. But that makes you wonder, uh, are people wrong? Like if people want there to be more Neo and Trinity in these movies, are they wrong? I think they're wrong. Yeah, they're wrong. They're wrong. That's not to say I wish that these movies had been Neo-less because I think my tolerance for Neo is a little bit higher than yours. Probably. I just thought I like all the stuff he does, particularly in the first two movies. But yeah, I think Matrix Reloaded is a better film than the matrix uh sorry i think the matrix revolutions is a better Mm -hmm. film than the matrix reloaded same i think it makes more sense as a complete narrative yeah it's it's better structured yeah the thing i can come come back to is there's that scene in the matrix reloaded where neo is just sort of looking out onto the machinery that runs zion like the the water filtration system and like the counselor guy comes up and one of the counselors comes up and talks to him i don't know what that's about i don't know either because we go back to the Reloaded and there's stuff about the previous ones. Right. And I'm like, well, that has to have been generations, right? It's like, that guy's not like the previous one, right? <laughs> um, That's kind of confusing if I can get into the nitty gritty for a second. Yeah. Because the architect says that 
the one whenever they get to this point in their journey and they decide to reboot Zion basically after mm-hmm. it's destroyed, they they rebuild Zion with these people and they, mm-hmm. I assume, live in it. I assume they choose a number. Of, I think he said there's yeah. like 17 but people or wouldn't something. the people, like the survivors who rebuild Zion, wouldn't they know then wouldn't that Zion they? is like caught in the cycle of like rebirth and destruction with wouldn't the help they? of the one? And if that's the case, wouldn't that be, even if the one's not part of that group of people who rebuild Zion, mm-hmm. like shouldn't those people who have chosen to be to like, survive, shouldn't they know Maybe they're like their memories wiped or something. Or maybe they're just spared from the final, you know, destruction of the yeah, of the Zion that's in, probably in a way it. That, that doesn't reveal to them yeah. that they were chosen. But I just it seems like someone would piece that together eventually, right? Right. Like, yeah, the machines have attacked Zion six times and every time there were thirteen people left alive. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's up with that? I don't know. Best not to look into it. But I can overlook that. This this is a movie with a pretty there's a series of pretty complex uh, mythology to explore. So yeah, well, Kelsey, we've done it. We've, done uh, it. we've upended the narrative of the Matrix, Matrix Revolutions. Revolutions is good. <laughs> That's is, the final conclusion here. This is our hottest take yet. <laughs> or at least it's better than The Matrix Reloaded. And, and by the way, the sequel is both uh, even together. Not terrible. Not terrible. They're not, not. Not good. No, not good. Not as good as the first one. No. Um, but they're, I think they're not as good because they attempt to do more. It is a failure that comes from ambition. Yes. They didn't try to replicate the success of the first one. They tried to push the story forward in new and interesting ways, and they failed in some regards. How do you think they could succeed? Are we, are we reaching the, the uh, <laughs> I just want to Jason know, like, Kelsey rebooted franchise section no, of the is podcast? It, is it like, did they cut something? Did they cut a storyline? Did they cut? I just want to know what would make them better. I think, or they, do we reboot it into a TV series? <laughs> I think you've already made up your mind. I don't really think that's the what to do, but I don't know honestly. There's, there's, <laughs> there's because because it's hard for me to separate the things I that I think don't work about these movies with the things I really really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Because often the things that I enjoy maybe don't really work as movies. <laughs> I I should mention like I like I mentioned the first Matrix movie is like a really deep part of my pop culture life, and the sequels I saw in theaters when they came out. And not since then, honestly. And but when I, when I go back and watch them now, I still see them as like that thirteen-year-old kid who just loves sci-fi action movies. That's adorable. And he's just discovering that, and is this excited to see all this? So cute. That being said, cute little Jason didn't appreciate revolutions as much as adult Jason does. There you go. So they're not fixable. What, what do you what do you, do you what do you think could have been done to fix them, or could be done in maybe a TV series reboot, maybe just, a ten-episode series on Netflix? <laughs> I think like the only way to fix these for me is to make the the Neo and Trinity story better. I think if you do that, that fixes a lot of things about what I care about. I think the second movie needs restructuring. Maybe you do present it as a sort of transmedia project. Because it seems like there's a lot more information that the Wachowskis wanted to get across that they didn't get to do in, I assume, Reloaded. Because... That's the middle one, and that's the one that feels the most disjointed to me. So it's already so overstuffed, and even then, there's there's plot information that is key mm-hmm. that is not in it. I'm sure they will reboot it. It's too. I feel like it's too beloved for them not to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when. Certainly in our lifetimes, at least we'll see at least one Matrix reboot. Yeah, I think there was talk uh, as of like a few months ago, even this year, 
of a reboot possibly involving Michael B. Jordan as I like Michael B. Jordan as either maybe young Morpheus or just as a new character in a, in a total reboot of the franchise. Yeah. Uh, would they pick up where this one left off? I don't know. Would they just restart it? You could go a few different directions with that. I, I do want to quickly just, and I'll, this is going to be more, I think, a gesturing to of an outside work that I think is worth visiting. But Dr. Eleanor Lockhart wrote an article that you can find on Medium called Bootlegging the Matrix, where she runs through a lot of ideas that I had never even uh, thought about before, really, about the Matrix and as it relates to uh, um, the fact that both creators are trans and were closeted when these movies were made. And, and basically tracking this, this plotline, uh, Neo's plotline in particular, not really the rest of the movie, uh, particularly Neo's relationship with Smith as uh, you know, exploring the idea of Neo's arc in the first movie as a, a, a trans woman's coming out because Neo is you know known as Thomas Anderson in the first movie, lives this very sort of uncomfortable life where nothing about it really fits and everything is sort of like a, a distant dream and it's not quite... You know, uh, Neo's not at home in his body, really, in the first movie. And and, and and then sort of he meets this liberating force in Morpheus who sort of uh, awakens him to reality and has to go through this whole process of, like, you know, when he's awakened from the Matrix, he has to rebuild his body and learn to use it in a whole new way. And then there's this idea of Smith as this um, oppressive force, the force of, like, society and this entire repressive system. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to just do a, a Cliff Notes version of this article because I think it's worth reading in full. But it adds another layer of meaning that I, looking at, um, having read this before we, we watched these movies, adds a good deal of, of uh, poignancy to Neo's entire arc and makes a few things that sort of stick out as kind of a little bit off on the first watch through make a little bit more sense. I don't think this, I don't know if it was necessarily consciously structured to, to be like this because again I don't know uh, you know where the Wachowskis were in their personal lives when they made these movies and I don't really care to speculate on it but it is um when you look at things like there's there's a big thread in uh, Dr. Lockhart's article about Agent Smith basically uh, like representing a closeted trans woman and then like the continued and like the continued struggle of that person in that situation and that and that sort of really tracks with a lot of what we see from Smith in these movies. Like his whole monologue in the first movie is um, about how he feels trapped in the human world and his entire disgust at the physical world he's forced to inhabit. And then in the you know in the second third movies, um, there's a lot more complicated stuff that I again I don't want to you know run the risk of. Uh, misquoting or misrepresenting but for instance like we see there's a one very short scene um that's referenced again in the third movie where the bane after after smith has entered bane's body and possessed him uh is is cutting his arm in an act of self-mutilation and that's you know that's not really a doesn't really play out in, in anything like that doesn't pay off at all mm-hmm. and 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 smith's entire little jaunt in bane's body uh, doesn't really you know, aside from ending up with Neo being blinded, which again only really has a symbolic effect on the narrative, doesn't really serve much of a plot purpose. So I think it's just interesting to to visit to look at those things uh, through that lens. And I don't know. Again, just read uh, Dr. Lockhart's article, "Bootlegging the Matrix." It's on Medium. I just I just want to point to it 
and say that it, it's uh, really good and it definitely you know makes you look at it a different way if you weren't already looking at it that way and it's uh i don't know it, it seems it, it, it all tracks to me it's it's a very intelligent piece of criticism yay for intelligent criticism yay oh boy this was a it's quite an adventure well we did it our first two part are we did it two parts part of this was an experiment for for myself as well because again i had not seen the sequels since they came out do i feel different i feel good you feel good i feel i feel because i saw the matrix uh again at a very pivotal age mm-hmm. i saw the sequel was right at the age of where i was becoming very sensitive to uh criticism of things i enjoyed mm-hmm. to where like if the popular consensus was that something was a uh, not good that would ruin it for me forever mm-hmm. that lasted for a long long time and i'm just now getting to the point where i don't feel that way <laughs> where i can read negative criticism of thing i love and accept like okay this person has a different opinion i don't agree with it or it's even okay. or even they're right and there's some things in this that aren't good but i still enjoy it anyway and i'm just happy to to, to really revisit how much i enjoy the matrix movies and even the sequels i think again not that bad even if they bad. are I like them. Yeah, no, I had fun. I don't feel that different. I probably won't watch these movies again. <laughs> but I have filled a very specific hole in, in my popcorn for knowledge. So that's good. Okay. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Thank you. Special thanks to Danny Abound of the Weeping Willards for use of their song, Outside in the Rain, from their self-titled album, available now on Bandcamp.com. Special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at Carly-Rose.com. You can find us on Facebook. Twitter. Twitter, which is free. Which is free. So so is Facebook. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, but Twitter is free. Yeah, we are on Facebook and Twitter. You should find us there. Follow us. Rate and review on iTunes if you please get Please rate and review on iTunes. If you have not, please do it. Do it. Share with a friend. Share with a friend. This is this is episode is our hottest take by far. Most of our episodes have few hot takes. <laughs> yeah, but this is a real hot take, y'all. This is, uh, this is a hot take. This is a positivity hot take. Woo! A hot take, I think, that is not saying actually this thing is bad or actually this thing is brilliant and you're all stupid for not recognizing that. I think it's a fine hot take. Yeah, I think it's a... Actually, this thing's pretty good, you know? Hmm. Maybe it's more of a warm take. A warm take. It's a warm take. Because no one's going to burn their hands on, on this take that, that uh, the Matrix sequels aren't that bad. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, from our family to yours. Happy, happy holidays. holidays. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up, can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. Only I can mention me. Only I can mention me. Ba ba ba, bam 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 Moran. Bam 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 Moran. Bam 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 Moran. You gotta buy my ring. Take my hand. Got me rocking and rolling, rocking and rolling. Bam Moran, bam 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 Moran. Bam Moran. Yeah.
Yeah. John McCain, uh, John McCain said that. Bomberan. <laughs> no, he, he sang that song too. Oh, really? I forget when it was. I don't think it was when he was on camp when he was campaigning for 2008, but at one point someone asked him what his plan for was Iran. He said, you know that old Beach Boys song? <laughs> bomb, 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 Iran. <laughs> Sorry. He wanted to be president. 